0: This is a Clark University Podcast.
1: I grew up in a family that struggled to make ends meet every month. And this was before the Great Recession. After the Great Recession, my dad lost his job. And so we went from months where we were just sort of scraping by to not being able to scrape by at all. One of the first things that I really noticed in that was the fact that food was something that very quickly was, you know, shrinking on our plates, and then suddenly there wasn't enough in the house anymore. And so that to me is a very clear memory that I have of my childhood and was something that I wanted to make sure other folks didn't have to experience.
0: Max Deferria is passionate about food justice and food policy food justice movements were ramping up when Max became a student at Clark University in 2016, and they've been deeply involved in the work since graduating in 2020. Max has worked to transform the food system in places across New England, and researched and developed recommendations to improve food access and affordability for the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. Max's personal experience helped them connect to communities,
1: Growing up experiencing hunger was definitely a challenge. And there were times when I've done direct SNAP assistance outreach or when I've done volunteering at food pantries or things like that. You know, it does take a moment for me to recenter myself and remember I'm okay now, things are okay now. But at the end of the day, what I found is that by really drawing on the strength that my story gives me, I am empowered to make the changes that other people need. Although my family like now, for the most part, doesn't have the food struggles that we have, we continue to have economic struggles. And so for me, it's more about knowing that these realities are still existing and there's a need for change. Knowing that I have some of that personal lived experience that I can contribute to these conversations to really engage people in a new way when thinking about food, I try to use that whenever and however I can to encourage folks to think of food as a basic human right, which I really believe it is. And so I draw on my own experiences of hunger and poverty to encourage other folks to think of food as an incredibly powerful tool that we can use to tell our own
0: stories and to create change at the same time. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's Communications Office, and this is Challenge Change. Here's how Max defines the food system and what they believe is the ideal to strive for.
1: The food system encompasses the farmer who got the seed and put it in the ground. It also encompasses the distributor who made the very pretty bottles and designs that your food product came in. It includes the second stage processor who took the raw tomato, for example, that the farmer made and turned it into a salsa. It includes you, the consumer, who purchased that salsa and now put it on your plate. And then it also includes things like, did that salsa go in the landfill? Or did that salsa end up in a container that you compost? So the food system is really every intersection of food with people. Mm The ideal food system really varies based off of where you are. And I think that's one of the hardest parts for people to grasp because the food system that exists, for example, here in New England, that would be just and sustainable and equitable would be very, very different from a food system that's based in, for example, California, which has a very different geography, very different climate, different types of plants that grow natively. And so when we think of you know, the ideal food system, I think what we're really trying to talk about is the ideal values that we want our food system to embody. Those are values like justice. Those are values like equity. Those are values about employee ownership of the work that they're doing. When we talk about the ideal food system, I think what we're really talking about are What are the values we want to transform the food system into having? And so those are values around equity and justice and ending corporate ownership of the food system and all of these other massive issues. And those things can only happen if we retake our food systems at a local level. There are some benefits to having a global food system, right? I can get an avocado at the grocery store any day whenever I want. But that doesn't mean that it's sustainable. While it is great that we can all get our avocados year round um, here in New England, it doesn't mean that we should. And I think that's one of the unfortunate difficulties that the process of transforming the food system needs to go through. Because of our globalized food system, we're getting all of this really awesome food and then we're letting it go to waste. And I think what we need to spend more time doing is thinking about what does transforming it at each of our individual local areas look like. Right now, what we have is a lot of inequity in ownership and structures in the ways that our global food system is set up. So that way, countries like the United States, those in the global north, have excess food. While there's many countries in the global south where farmers are left unable to compete with the prices of global north food coming in. And so when we think of it from a, you know, human standpoint and from an environmental standpoint, the global food system isn't going to last very long. It's just unsustainable.
0: It can be overwhelming to think about transforming the food system. Max thinks that community-led conversations should steer that change. Actions like eating local help, but a shift in mindset is necessary.
1: There's a lot of opportunity when thinking about local food, not only to eat seasonally, not only to buy from your local farmers, but to think about what does an edible landscape around you look like? Does that mean having berries in your front yard? Does that mean your neighbor has an herb garden in front of their kitchen window? There are so many ways to think of local food that not only you know supports economic growth of local farmers or that uh, promotes more seasonality in your eating, but there's also ways that you can bring food closer to your own home. We've really lost that connection to food. And I think a big part of localizing food systems is helping people to reconnect to that feeling and reconnect to what it means to know your food from a small seed to the final piece on your plate.
0: Max brought that mindset to an internship last summer with Harvard Law School's Food Law and Policy Clinic. They helped prepare a brief on areas for growth in policy and funding for the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition and Health.
1: We were able to provide some very specific policy recommendations to both the White House and to congressional members who were engaged on these issues, uh, because there are quite a few congressional members who are very interested. We created this brief that includes tons of recommendations for both the White House conference and sort of for Congress and the White House generally to think about food from a more complete standpoint. The brief included recommendations like providing for specific language in the FDA health codes around what food can be donated that's after its best sell-by date. Currently, a lot of states and a lot of organizations won't accept canned food if it's past its best sell-by date. This is an issue because a lot of times those dates have nothing to do with the actual expiration of the food item, but rather just the quality of the food item. So it's best before this date, but that doesn't mean that it's gone bad. And so a lot of this food ends up going into landfills where it then is unable to be properly broken down and you know emits methane and leads to a whole bunch of issues with climate change and that kind of thing. Also, it means all of that perfectly good food that could have gone to people who need it, that could have been composted and then put back into the soil, all of those benefits have been stripped away because organizations are afraid of liability concerns if they accept food that's passed its best by date. And so one of our recommendations was, dear FDA, please change your policies so that way organizations know it's safe to accept this food and you're not liable for that. And so by doing that, we can, you know, avoid food waste, avoid methane production, we can sort of avoid all of the landfill concerns and actually get that food to people who need it. Or if it's food that has actually moved past a date that's safe for human consumption, we can get that to a composter or an anaerobic digester. A lot of people, including congressional folks and um, members of the agency of FDA, have expressed a lot of interest in this. And so while for the actual national strategy, it wasn't a recommendation that was accepted at the time, um, which was a few months ago now, it is one that has continued to have a lot of conversation and a lot of growth. Um, And there does seem to be some forward movement on getting those changes made in the next few years,
0: Individual states have been considering such policies in the meantime, including in Virginia, where the movement was led by a group of high school students. Max and colleagues also made recommendations to the White House regarding food needs during emergencies.
1: Thinking about emergencies from a wider perspective is one area that the White House actually asked us to work on specifically to address this issue and is something that we continue to work on throughout my entire summer there and is something that in my conversations with them continued to be an ongoing area of research. There's many of these areas that, especially as a result of COVID-19, we've been able to identify gaps in policy and identify areas that we really need to address if we want to have a resilient food system in the years to come, especially facing climate change, especially facing sort of any concerns around, you know, an economic recession or anything like that. There's more space right now for us to be thinking from a better mindset of what kinds of policies do we need in order to address any of the potential emergencies that might come, and how can we make sure that people have food when those emergencies do come? There's a lot of work that you know we at Harvard started um, that's continuing to be done both by the folks at Harvard and, and everywhere else around all of these issues of food access, food justice, food sovereignty, that are really timely and really quite relevant to having this transformative future that I think so many people, especially young people, are looking for right now. There's still a lot more that needs to be done, both from a research perspective and from an actual policy writing perspective. And I think now is the time.
0: Through their research, Max has noticed that many pieces of legislation impact the food system, even if the connection isn't obvious. It motivated them to try and bridge that gap.
1: Most people don't think of the American Rescue Plan as really having any impact on food systems. They think of it more as an economic growth opportunity. They think of it more as an economic mobility opportunity in some circumstances. But if you look at some of the programs that came out of the ARP funding, you realize that a lot of those programs that were funded are actually programs to address food insecurity. Um, For instance, in Rhode Island, um, some of the ARP funding has gone to different community-based organizations that developed food pantries in response to COVID. And so that's just one example of legislation that we generally don't think of as having a big food systems impact. But when you look at the nitty-gritty, there's actually a lot of community-based programming that wouldn't exist without those kinds of funding opportunities. And so that's just, you know, one example. Um, And there's many examples from both the national and the state level. Food is a basic need. It's a basic necessity. And so you can't have economic security if you don't have food security. And so if you can tie all of these things in together, folks are more likely to really approach this from a holistic standpoint. And so that's the way that I try to explain all of this legislation to people is that you know there are tons of things that we don't think of as having an impact on the food system that do. And if we think about the ways that that can impact the food system, we can more readily leverage that power to create really awesome and incredible change.
0: Max currently works with the Rhode Island Food Policy Council, focusing on policy programs and advocacy.
1: I am their program associate, so I help them run all of their policy programs um, and all of their sort of advocacy work around more just and sustainable and equitable food systems. And I also am helping them develop their first ever leadership program for community members to learn how to become better food advocates. I spend a lot of my free time really trying to work with folks around educating them on what is a food system? Why do we care about it? What does this mean for you? I think joy in food is one of the most important things we can stay attached to in the struggle for a new food system. I think that joy in food, the community of food, that is the most powerful value we have in creating change for our food system.
0: To learn more about geography at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash geography. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>